0: This show contains badass material and foul f***ing language. Some people may find offensive. What else did you expect? Nostalgia really whips the llama's ass. Welcome to Bitch Watch. Hi, I'm Sly. I'm Witsy. And we're Two Bitches Watching TV. We're a recap and shit talk show. That's right, we watch hours and hours and hours hours of tv so you don't have to you can listen and laugh along with us everywhere you listen to podcasts and find us on instagram and twitter at bitch watch pod is our show original no entertaining we hope so this is bitch watch
1: how's it going everybody this is chewy and this is monica and we are from the podcast titled exploring the myths behind the legends (laughs) where we talk about stuff like horror films shows and folk legends You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Podchaser. Like us and give us a review. Fucking thing sucks. (laughs) Do it live. Fuck it.
0: (laughs) The only good thing to come from his mouth was that whole sequence. I know. It is
1: pretty great. It is it is iconic. Especially watching him go, like, it just goes to show a lot of those, probably those newscasters or entertainment personalities yep. are all probably a little kind of crazy to see how he goes from being insanely angry mm-hmm. to, like, being professional to be like, here's Bono, take it away. Yes. He's like, nope, nope, sorry, can't read it. Nope, nope. Fuck it, do a lie, fuck it. <laughs> He's, like, so
0: angry. He was angry, he was shaking. <sighs> yeah, he was mad. It's like when you find out that, like, your favorite artist. Is actually a nut job, like Marilyn Manson? Maybe. <laughs> oh, I'm but, sorry. No, I know. I I'm not surprised. Unfortunately,
1: but but I know what you mean. Like, yeah, not uh, well. Mean, not, like, for instance, little... like Kubrick. Like, yeah,
0: he was a he was a tyrant. He was Kubrick. But he made some of the greatest films ever. But I would hate to want to work with him, I guess. Yeah. Unless you're Jack Nicholson.
1: Equally crazy, maybe. Kirk Cobain was kind of a prickly little asshole. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You you wouldn't really want to hang out with him. Yeah. Yeah. Prickly little asshole. (laughs) He does seem like a little prick. Yeah. I think Dave Girl would be a good time. Dave Girl will definitely be a good time. Yeah. I don't think he's, yeah.
0: I think, I don't think he's ever lost sight of where he comes from.
1: It's very strange how some people can hold it together and some people can't, you know. But that's part of his shtick now. Just is it, being the super approachable, the oh super. Yeah. He also is a great storyteller. He's fantastic. Well, there's a great clip. It it's him and Taylor sitting there, and yeah. some of them start to ask him questions. All of a sudden, he just goes, "Can I just tell you the most amazing story that just happened?" And yes. he lost his wallet. That whole story. Yeah. Anyways, but he just takes over this. My interview. wallet's gone. <laughs> My wallet's gone. <laughs> he just took over the interview, but it's like he's he's so like, such a great storyteller. I know he's such a compelling personality. It's like you're just like. Wide, wide-eyed, smiling at him, listening to him. He's also not forcing his celebrity on you. Mm-hmm. Tells stories, too, like he's mm-hmm. one of you, in a way. Mm-hmm. Just humble. Humble. Anyway. Fresh pots. <laughs> Fresh pot. <laughs> I worry about that for myself. Like,
0: I will drink a whole pot of coffee and think nothing of it.
1: A whole pot? Well, I just have, like, a two-cup pot, so I guess it's not that bad. But oh. I do drink two cups of coffee every day. Now, is it... Two measured cups, or is it... I have this nice, big Tim Hortons ceramic mug. So it's a large size. It's a pretty big mug. Right. And this, my little pour-over kit, holds two of those. Two of those. Yeah, I can Okay, so- a little bit more at the end. I All guess. right, I do feel so bad. I mean, that's four measured cups. Okay.
0: Because a measured cup of coffee is not enough. We'll be honest. Oh, no, 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 no. If you think of what an actual measured eight-ounce... You hand me that, and be
1: like, "Where's where's the rest of it?"
0: I know, yeah, because I need that to wake up to enjoy the next one.
1: Yeah, that's how I look at it. Like, yeah, I need the first one to wake up, and the second one, I just, I just enjoy, and it's just delicious I love coffee. Yeah, I
0: love good cup of coffee. That's so funny when you run into someone who doesn't like coffee. Our friend Rob, he and I have had our chats about coffee and how he's like oh I can't touch that I'll be up all night and be like I fucking wish that coffee actually had that effect on me at Mm. this point I can have a cup of coffee before bed and really not be bothered by it (laughs) truly I've gotten to a point but maybe that's because I start my day by having a pot of coffee or no it's not that I have a pot of coffee to start my day it just happens Yeah, it's just like I keep going back until it's empty it's like if you put beer out and you're like help yourself all Mm. of a sudden it's gone
1: Mm -mm. yeah I can't do that yeah yeah, I can't pump my own brakes on that. <laughs> it like, reminds me of I was at a Christmas party, my wife's work's Christmas party, and it was full of tall cans. You open up, help yourself, and I'm just like, well, this is not going to end well. No, nope, and this it, will not. And it didn't. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Yeah. And I did not win that night. Yeah. but we, in, in a way, we all won because we got to see Kyle super drunk. I'm the liquor. <laughs> mm-hmm. That probably that probably was an "I'm the liquor night" for sure. <laughs> I'm sorry, baby. The liquor got a hold of me. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> it is bad. It's bad too when it's like your wife's party and you, like when you show and you get in the house after it's all done. You just collapse on the couch with this. Or
0: yes, you hear you do that yourself, but then you also hear the silent brooding. Oh my god! You fucking embarrassment no, in the she, background. No,
1: she just immediately walks upstairs. She's she's done with me. Like,
0: she's done with you. You stay. You sleep on. You yeah. stay down here because that's yeah.
1: where you're gonna pass out. That's that's where you belong. No tonight. good night. No nothing. <laughs> oh no,
0: no <laughs> bad night, bad Kyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. When I turned thirty, I got the bright idea to start yelling like tequila shots. <laughs> I mean, I don't deal well with tequila anyway. I know. But why Why did I yell that out? I don't know. Yeah. So then I started pouring. And yeah. then that was it. That's all I remember. I remember, actually, I remember bobbing and weaving with clarity. At that moment, I go, Hey, right, I'm going to go throw up now. Yeah. And it was power puking, leaning up against the wall. Standing, Ellen Rose pokes her head in to see how I'm doing. She's like, Why are you that far away from the toilet? Oh no. Because I didn't want to get that close to it. You know how dirty that is? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Yeah, just getting fucking ripped. Yeah. Ripped and twisted, buddy. Horror movies have a multitude of avenues to explore blood, Satan, the occult, fighting off zombies, social chaos, violence, death, but so does heavy metal. Throwing up the metal horns at a concert for something gnarly or brutal and laughing at the over-the-top camp gore of a slasher seems to share some commonalities. And just like the bastardized metal family tree and the undying lists of subcategories, no pun intended, horror also seeks a need to sever itself into new nodes to define new subgenres. But where do the two worlds of metal music and horror movies intersect? metal exploitation. This is where metal and horror are stitched together like a human centipede experiment (laughs) as metal is exploited, satirized, and most importantly, portrayed lovingly within its own unique variety of horror films. The sound of heavy metal started with Black Sabbath. I think we can both agree on that. I think so.
1: There's been the age-old debate. Was it Judas Priest or Sabbath? I know they say the first time the term heavy metal was used is heavy metal thunder in Born to be Wild. By Steppenwolf, Canadian band. How can it not be Black Sabbath? Right. You got to give it to Black Sabbath. It's, it's Sabbath,
0: 100%. <laughs> they, actually, there's another possible uh, reference, which was a reviewer saying that Jimi Hendrix's guitar performance is a- likened to heavy metal falling from the skies. Oh, yes, I did. I, okay, I did hear that too.
1: Which I also agree. I do like that. He did
0: play guitar like it was heavy metal coming from the skies. The Sound of Heavy Metal started with Black Sabbath. Named after Mario Bava's 1963 horror anthology of the same name, Ozzy, Iommi, Butler, and Ward adopted themes of the occult into their lyrics and took inspiration from the horror writer Dennis Wheatley. Sabbath rejected mainstream hippie culture and wanted to create music that could be the soundtrack to a horror movie. Ozzy once stated... We used to rehearse across the row from a movie theater, and Tony said one day, isn't it weird how people pay money to get scared shitless in a movie theater? Why don't we start writing scary music? (laughs) Our vibe kind of came from that, as I remember it. Sabbath got it, and so did we. As with all things sacred, the mainstream has a proclivity for overexposing and regurgitating a sickly sweet, polished turd version of what was once pure. The distorted metallic guitars and thunderous rhythm section of heavy metal started merging with the equally overexposed against the grain glam rock aesthetic of eyeshadow, glitter and gender fluidity. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you can see how easily the elements of shock appeals to artists for the sake of their craft. Alice Cooper is a perfect example of where an artist intersects theatrical horror with heavy metal. Performance art complete with decapitations, severed limbs, dead babies, oh my, set to an upbeat rock opera heavy metal hybrid. Let's flip it 180. This type of over-the-top against-the-grain performance can also be seen in Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise in 1974. The film was a box office failure and received negative reviews upon release while earning praise for its music and receiving Academy Award and Golden Globe nominations. However, over the years, the film has received much more positive reviews and has become a cult film. Do you know that there is a massive following, a massive following for that movie in Winnipeg? Weird. It it was put out in 1974. It played non consecutive, but it was in the Winnipeg theaters until 1976. Strange. Yeah, it's very bizarre. I think it had a budget of like 1.3, 1.2 million and only did mm, 250,000. Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, I like, never saw it. Real flop. So, not necessarily a horror film per se, but Phantom opened the gates to others to follow suit. And who better than the hottest band on the planet? KISS meets the (laughs) phantom of the park. (laughs) KISS's commercial popularity was at its peak in 1978. The group's gross income in 1977 totaled $10.2 million. Of course. Of course. (laughs) They were massive, weren't they? They were. (laughs) They still are, really. I mean, truly. As much as it's campy as a horror fan, it's, it's so celebrated within its cultures, right? Like, Yes, these movies have cult appeal, and so do the bands. Mm-hmm. Hair metal isn't metal. Hair metal is boy bands.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Lipstick.
0: Yeah, but but it's but it was more than just that. It was that it was MTV metal. Yeah. And if it's MTV metal, is it really metal? Because at the same time, while Poison and Cinderella and Motley Crue were being the poster childs of metal, bands like Slayer, Metallica. Morbid angel, death we 're all forming in this underground that 's true saying,
1: laying waste to stages yes <laughs> <laughs> now that you say it like that it's like you need you need the not, you need the hair metals to force those people to really push actual metal forward in a way. do you know what I mean like, and the same could be said about horror movies.
0: you talk about slashers, you know, like them or not, there were so many of them, but some of them pushed their own envelopes. Within their genre, mm. to a point where you're like, okay, now
1: this is just getting fucking crazy. Yeah, well, I need to top this. Oh, this movie's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Now. now, as a filmmaker, I need to go even further.
0: You're right. And then you get the mainstream blowup of slashers in the '90s with Scream. I know what you did last summer, Urban Legend, a callback to '80s slashers that were poo pooed, but now that's okay
1: because they Apparently. were, yeah, they were they were MTV teenified. You right know, in a way, and you
0: know. then in the same time, other filmmakers are saying, "No, this is not. This is not where slashers need to go. Slashers mm-hmm. don't need to be mainstream. They need to make the '80s version of a slasher look mainstream compared to what I'm going to make, which is where you enter yes. in like torture porn. And that makes me think, yeah,
1: and the French French New Wave of extreme, like sure. like high tension. High and, tension. And, oh my yeah. god, yes."
0: But then you think of like Hostel, you know, like Hostel is actually a mainstream torture porn,
1: which is a weird thing to say out loud. They created that term, I think, on that movie in a sure, way. Sure, sure. But, but I, it was a response to like let's let's take the let's take the slasher in a new way and but yeah, let's go <laughs> go even crazier. And then they're like, well, now you're just fucking torture porn, you know? Right, right. <laughs>
0: then we go right back to a metal discussion, you know, like bands like Metallica become the household name of what is metal mm-hmm. to non-metal fans. Mm-hmm. I think I think Metallica is one of those bands that no matter where you are in the world you say Metallica everybody knows who the band is mm-hmm. but you don't have to know what they sound like. You just know what they do. Yeah. And like they're ubiquitous. They've, they're just, they've, just air. they've earned it. They're almost like the West Craven of slashers like <laughs> you know like they put out a new one, people are into it. They know where they came from but at the same time you're like eh, this got This has a few extra bucks on it. Oh my god, it, that's you know. hilarious! Yeah, Kill 'em
1: All is uh, Last House on the Left, and then Master of Puppets is Nightmare on Elm Street, <laughs> and the black album is Scream. Oh my god, that is that is very perfect. And then Lulu is. Um, oh no, uh, what's it called? What's that one he did? My soul to take. He did like some weird dramas in there too, like um, that one with Meryl Streep, Music of the Heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's his load and reload <laughs> no yeah i'm gonna because it strays from the pack i would say snm strays more from the pack than load and reload I just,
0: oh come on <laughs> think of how divisive the fans were when that came out <laughs> yeah but the the music fans are
1: idiots <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here folks yeah you're an idiot <laughs> They don't they don't like change. Oh my god, they got their haircuts. Even Alice and Chains put that on their guitar on meanwhile they're playing MTV Unplugged and they're making fun of Metallica for cutting their hair. Like, get uh, real. Oh I know. It was such a it was such a thing. Scream, Scream Two, Music of the Heart. Scream three. What a weird departure. Right. Cursed. Red Eye. Red Eye was good. Ooh, Red Eye was good. Uh then my soul to take, then Scream Four was his last
0: movie. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you know what the first metal-sploitation horror film was? It was in 1980. Yes, it apparently. was. Do you remember? Terror. Yeah. On tour. Hey! <laughs> and it's funny, too, because like apparently the plot, uh, it's about a suspiciously kiss-like band called the Clowns. <laughs> who act like
0: suspicious. That's what it says. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Can I read you what the box said? Okay. Can you tell the difference between fantasy and reality? The Clowns are a rock group. On their way up, the barbed ladder of success. In their macabre makeup, it is impossible to distinguish one from the other. Their incredible stage performance centers around sadistic, mutilating theatrics, and eventually real murders begin. <laughs> the police are called in and consider the band members prime suspects until they realize the killings are occurring during the performances. The search for the murderer begins and ends With the audience chanting "kill, kill," oh my god,
1: so metal! Like
0: that—that summary of the box art is enough for me to say, "Yeah, I want to see this."
1: (laughs) (laughs) As a metal fan, as a horror fan, yeah, Yeah, it's a
0: celebration of the -the over-the-top
1: theatrics within its own genre, yeah. This leads into perfectly actually to my my first movie. Yes. uh, In terms of metal exploitation, metal and horror, Uh, and it's a movie I hadn't even seen until recently. I actually watched it Mm -hmm. just the other day because it's on YouTube, Um, and it's a a Canadian horror film. I didn't know that it was even Canadian from 1988 called Black Roses. Black
0: Roses, yes.
1: Um, And (laughs) it was kind of it was hilarious. I love how it starts. It's. uh, Uh, It starts right away with an awesome, like, metal 80s metal anthem. They're just all in in demon garbage with like the spandex, the tight kind of get ups. And then during the opening credits, they're rolling. So they go from town to town. Like, they're so they're demons and they, you know, I guess vampire demons and they just like feed on people as they go town to town on their tour. Oh my God. And the opening credits is like they're both rolling down the street. They have two Lamborghinis or something rolling down the street. Yes. White one, red one. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so it's pretty hilarious. Apparently, the band in the movie or the music was written by the members of a band called King Cobra, who I've mm-hmm. never heard of before. Cobra actually, Pice, is yes. the drummer. So that's the only person I actually heard of being a drummer, uh, and I only knew that name as a drummer. I didn't even know any of the actual bands he had been in, but um, Ozzy. Oh, okay, Bark at the Moon era. Oh, nice. Okay, one of the things about Black Roses that I did love. The music actually kicks fucking ass. (laughs) Like, there's great music in it. I love 80s metal when it kicks ass. The movie's not, I mean, it's whatever. It's kind of it's almost like a footloose storyline where this town had never had a live concert before. It almost makes me think of like, you know, those like we talked about before, those censorship groups, those parent groups that like want to censor music. It's almost like they wrote this movie because the movie's about. The town doesn't want the metal band because it's a bad influence, right? but the metal band is actually demons, and then they infect the kids, and they make them like murder, right. so it's kind of funny in that way. But there's a great scene involving, uh, remember Big Pussy from uh, The Sopranos? Yes. he's looks so young, looks like, I mean, maybe mid-20s, and he gets eaten by a record player. Player or something. I think he puts on a bad record. I just remember one of the records is like breathing and talking oh, yes. to him. and Very
0: Videodrome looking.
1: Yeah. So yeah. Well, what a funny movie.
0: That's hilarious. Trick or Treat was a big one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, obviously fans of a band called Fastway would have loved this. Who's that band?
1: Fastway? I don't even know
0: that band at all. Well, they were the ones that did the soundtrack to Trick or Treat. Oh. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> But uh Trick or Treat's a good time. Obviously, we're we're summoning up the dead through a subliminal message
1: in an album. I haven't seen Trick or Treat, mm-hmm. but I definitely am, I'm aware of Trick or Treat in terms of sure. metal sploitation so. Yeah. Have you seen it?
0: Yes. And I I watched it when I was younger, thinking it was going to be a lot cooler. <laughs> Wasn't, no. wasn't what I thought it was when I was younger, but now I can appreciate it. But I think this is one of the bigger 80s hybrids of saying, here's metal in a movie represented, quote unquote, well. Mm-hmm. Just an average American kid, loving his metal icons, dude dies, he obtains a copy of this unreleased album, mm-hmm. plays it backwards, conjures up the dead, and... His icon is no longer iconic or heroic, but he comes back. There's trick or treat. That's pretty fucking metal to me.
1: (laughs) Isn't Gene Simmons in that?
0: Yeah, he's the disc jockey. (laughs) That the kid be friends? Yeah, (laughs) Oh, jeez. Yeah. Also, Ozzy makes an appearance, and he plays the preacher. Oh, the televangelist preacher.
1: It's always a movie that shows up on like Halloween metal centric
0: horror movies. But yeah,
1: I still I got to check that out. Movies that encapsulate the idea of being in a band. And so let's go from the polar opposite of being a mega superstar, world touring, mainstream band to being the kid in the garage. Like the guy that's just starting out. But what makes this movie especially great is because it does deal with a kid that wants to be in a black metal band. And I'm talking about 2015's Deathgasm. Ooh, that's a a good one. New Zealand comedy horror um, and it's just, yeah, it's about this kid. He moves in, I think he moves to a new town and he starts, he just wants to form a band and he's like, wants. it's like a, he wants to play black metal and there's obviously lots of great makeup in the movie where he, he's walking around with that, like Lords of Chaos, mayhem kind corpse of corpse paint.
0: Yeah. Just white. And if you don't know what corpse paint is, it's like if you take the black and white palette that Kiss uses and you just drag the black right down the face.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's there's great it's great comedy moments when he uh uh he starts to he gets a love interest with like this this girl that lives in the town and they go on this date and they're like sitting in a park bench having ice cream. Man. And she is just she is like the like a picture perfect kind of cheerleader, perfect looking. You know what I mean? Like blonde. Short skirt wearing, but and then he's all in his black metal garb with his like full corpse paint on, and they're both like having ice cream on a park bench. It's pretty funny, but it humanizes this yeah like persona that you carry. But the movies just yes about they summon demons from playing like the ultimate. They find this old sheet music, this old metal music, and they play, um, they play the song and it like unleashes a horde of demons, and it's just hilarious and gory and. Really fast and fun, and but also I just I love that it's just about these these group of kids that just want to play metal in their garage, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And they're not very good, and but they're friends because they play metal, you know? Because yes, that's what they do, and it just it speaks to that kind of like bond that people have with with metal, you know?
0: Oh, I love it! I love it! I love it! The soundtrack kicks ass. Uh, Mark of the Pizza Gram by Axe Slasher, <laughs> um, Black Banshee by Bullet Belt, which the singer of Bullet Belt, she kills it. I don't know what her name is. Yeah, never heard of it. my God. There's a band on the soundtrack called Elm Street, and they have a ballad called Metal is the Way. Mm. And it's like, metal is freedom, metal is the way. <laughs> um, almost almost like paying tribute to the subculture through parody. Oh,
1: it definitely is. But yeah.
0: it's so it fits so well in a movie called Deathgasm, where the gore in it, is, I don't want to say orgasmic because it's a part of the title, <laughs> but it's what you want out of a death metal-infused movie. Yeah, for sure. I know this is a really good movie, and I know this is an important movie to you, and I wanted to bring it up. <gasps>
1: I'm excited.
0: It's 2016 Green Room. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> All right. The metal that works its way into the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Napalm Deaths, Suffer the Children, Obituaries Paralyzed with Fear, Poison Ideas, Taken By Surprise, they're more of a hardcore band, which Poison Idea is the band that Pantera covered on the Crow soundtrack, The Badge. And of course, this is this is probably the most metal entry on this list. Slayer's War Ensemble.
1: One of the things I love most about Green Room is how just fucking intense it is. And it's like you can't it's like you almost like have no time to think when yeah. you're watching Green Room. So it's like I can't even actually think of there's music on in the background maybe but yeah. yeah i really can't place any music all all i remember is when they played nazi punk's fuck off like when they first yeah. show up on the on the stage but yeah, that's weird that
0: it's it's funny that, you know, the the movie features punk and punk and metal have always had a defined line in its listener base. Yeah. And that's I think true. one I think one of the first bands that brought them together was Motorhead. Yeah. Where, you know, Ramones fans and Metallica fans came together in the same room and didn't hate each other.
1: Mm-hmm. I never understood that divide. We're all in it for the same things Dude, in a It's not crips and bloods. I know. It's like we're all just looking to Get a release through music, and it's—I don't know—punk and metal to me are almost kind of the same. I mean, obviously the style is different, but the energy is the same to and, me. Yes, I just love Green Room because it really does. In it represents the idea of a touring band, like yes, and maybe because I've I've been in like I've been in touring bands before or whatever, but I just really identified with it, and it was like a really great representation of that. Yeah, Like, these group of friends. And there's a a great montage at the start, before all the shit starts to really go down, um, where they're just, like, around a fire, and they're just chilling, and they're just talking. I don't know, it's just such a great movie. A great movie about a punk. It's really about a band, you know? Truly. Regardless of what happens in the last, you know... As when within a half hour shit goes bad and the, the rest of the hour is just like an intense, like Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, the movie's beautifully done. But it's a it's about a punk band. Yeah. yeah.
0: But I mean, can you get more metal aside from being punkers yeah. than fighting off a room full of Nazis? <laughs> yeah, I know. Come on.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a great movie, man. That's I w- so cool. His best movie so far, I would think. Like I was uh, I just I have nothing I but hope for Jeremy Sonier, but yes. That latest Netflix one didn't do it for me. (laughs) Can't win them all. I love Green Room, and I praise Green Room forever. Can't win them all,
0: Kyle. We do have Lulu.
1: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Lulu. Well, this one's actually another recent one. The director is from Australia, made one movie before it called The Loved Ones. Uh, His name's Sean Byrne. But this movie, and it's actually really hard to find. I only saw it once, and I've never seen it again. It has never shown up anywhere online for some reason, whatever. But it's called The Devil's Candy, starring Ethan Embry. Do you know Ethan I've, Embry? Yes.
0: And I've heard of this movie. I, know. I
1: still have not watched it. And so uh while this, the the there's music in the movie, so um the movie revolves around the idea that the music is causing a person to commit. Murders. Like, so the movie starts out, there's like this guy in a house, and he's playing these like drone metal riffs on a guitar. Like super just low, super sustained kind of metal riffs on a guitar. Uh, and it's it's just like a I, I don't know if it's like a metaphor for him going sort of insane, I guess, like wanting to commit crimes. But, anyways, the director was inspired by the famous drone metal band Sun-O. Remember oh. those, like, Sun-O? Have <laughs> you ever listened to a Sun-O album?
0: Yeah, it reminds me of, like, if doom metal could be
1: more doom. I know, it's it's just, like, 16-minute long songs, single note. Maybe it changes a couple times. <laughs> I don't know, it's very strange music. Very experimental. But I guess you got to right. respect it in a way, but yeah. that's the metal that's in the Devil's Candy, where it's, like, basically drone metal is a substitute for... It's the devil, like, and it will possess you and it will make you want to murder. And like, uh, Ethan Embry plays this painter and he's trying to create paintings and it consumes him and it makes him want to kill his family. But, you know, a great idea of how you could use metal, the devil's music, I guess, in a movie, you know? Yes. In terms of taking you over and wanting, you know, evil, wanting evil to come through you in a way.
0: Right. One that I wanted to touch on that isn't necessarily metal exploitation, but features a pretty kick-ass soundtrack of its era was Wes Craven's Shocker.
1: Damn, never seen this one yet.
0: No? no. I watched it a couple times. I enjoy it. <laughs> it's a great cover. Supposedly, this was his response to Freddy going too mainstream and being disgusted with how New Line kind of franchised and whored out his boy
1: whored out his boy
0: he felt that freddy existed within a horror element as a horror icon and not a caricature of what he intended shocker does feel a little forced at times i feel but it falls within the fun element of Mm -hmm. what we're talking about so although the metal doesn't exist within the context of the film There there was such a focus on the soundtrack to be kick-ass. The music supervisor was Desmond Child, who was one of the key songwriters. Like, he wrote for Kiss. Aerosmith, he wrote for countless hard rock and metal acts of the 80s. He also formed a band for the soundtrack, which also featured Paul Stanley on vocals. (laughs) So both Desmond Child and Paul Stanley sang in a band called the Dudes of Wrath. Oh, my God. And they performed the title track, Shocker! <laughs> I got to hear that. And the intro to Shocker might look identical to A Nightmare on Elm Street, where Freddie's building the glove. Horace Pinker is the killer. He's clearly proficient with electronics, and he's re- rebuilding TVs in real time as he's trying to tune into the news about his killings. Mm-hmm. And you can see him, like, he's welding and soldering and he's changing out tubes, like, just to get a TV to work. Like I said, it kind of feels a little forced. It feels a little hokey. It feels a little like, oh, Wes's feelings are hurt because, yeah. you know, Freddy's a, a cartoon but an icon at the same time. It's like, isn't that what you
1: want? <laughs> like, yeah. isn't that what you're working towards? Like, you want your your yeah. creation to be, sure? you know,
0: I don't know. Yeah. Uh, So with that being said, the soundtrack, No More Mr. Nice Guy, covered by Megadeth. Mm. Shocker, Dudes of Wrath, uh, written by Desmond Child and Guy Man Dude. I'm pretty sure that's made up. The soundtrack was super fun, relevant of the time, 1989, right at the end of the hair metal, which is also fitting for this movie where it's not necessarily a slasher. It's kind of like that dream logic slasher.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: It's very iconic of Wes. I mean, we're only talking five years after Nightmare on Elm Street. Horace Pinker kind of exists within a static world, much like the white noise of a TV. So just take that as a premise and go with it. People need to visit this if we're talking about horror movies from the 80s. If you haven't watched it, just go ahead and watch it.
1: Yeah, I got to check that out. Yeah. I can't believe I haven't seen that. <laughs> Shocker. Shocker. All right. So continuing with the Sun O connection. Sure. Uh, and this is not a band I listen to. Like I just don't listen to them. But in terms of like creating mood for movies, metal in movies, the metal doesn't have anything really to do with the plot. Well, I saw this movie in a at a film festival in like a massive theater, sold out the huge sound system, uh, and it's Panos Cosmatos, Mandy, yes. starring Nicolas Cage. Of course uh, the soundtrack by um, the late Johan Johansson. And he enlisted the help of the Sunno guitarist to create this like sonic, weird metal hellscape of a soundtrack um, that comes through and just like a pure distillation of like how music can represent what's on screen. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like towards the end of Mandy, when it's just like thundering toms. Huge drone guitars, like metal guitars, mm-hmm. and just the insanity that's happening on the visuals that are happening yes. on screen. Like it was quite an experience, you know, and yeah. one that has always stuck with me. I wish I could like replicate that, but uh, there was a campaign that like Mandy should be recognized at the Oscars for original score because in terms of an original piece, like for a you know, a, yes. a, for a movie for for music in a movie and how music affects the movie yeah. and what it represents for the movie. Like Mandy is a masterpiece.
0: <laughs> but but it does speak to where metal exists within the yeah, sites of, of it, the public. It will
1: never yeah, well the Osc I mean the Oscars in the last three, I would say definitely three to five years yes. has been exposed, along with the Grammys, for being just completely out of touch, completely bullshit, completely unnecessary. In, in a world where Tony Collette doesn't get nominated for Best Actress for Hereditary and uh, Johan Johansson doesn't get nominated for Best Original Score for Mandy. Like, this is where, this is why these award shows really don't matter. But we, I want to see them nominated. I want to see them recognized, you know? Right,
0: yeah. Something that's sacred to you. You know, and and, and to us, but needs to be truly acknowledged. great. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, needs you know. to be acknowledged. Yeah, yeah, but that's why that's why we have other awards. You know,
1: like uh, the chainsaw. The, I know the Pangoria chainsaw. The, yeah, awards,
0: and yeah. and in the metal world, the metal hammer awards. That's you true. Know? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah, we you know we have to create what we can along the way. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's a great entry. That really is good. So a couple metal centric. Horror soundtracks that the metal is not a part of the movie, but had some really really cool music as a soundtrack. It almost makes you think was the record company trying to cash in on something here? I Probably. think so. I think so. And I'm gonna give I'm gonna I'm and, and I've got I've got huge nostalgic vibes with this. It's 2003, Freddy vs. Jason soundtrack, <laughs> Roadrunner Records. Now you and I both know Roadrunner Records quite well mm-hmm. without even thinking about it sepultura <laughs> yep killswitch yeah. engage this is what introduced me to the genre
1: called metalcore there
0: were 14 unreleased songs on this album mm. and i think
1: there was probably only what 20 maybe i think that was always the great thing about those soundtracks like it was always the b sides yes. from their album recordings. The Kill Switch Engage
0: song was When Darkness Falls, and it okay. was a demo version. There was a 1997 demo of Slipknot Snap. I don't know that one. I know exactly. It's side. <laughs> featuring Mike Patton on vocals, The Waste. Okay. And really, you can't get much more metal. Than Freddy versus Jason. <laughs> when we're talking about over the top moments, that is awesome. Come on, this is Mortal Kombat meets Freddy versus Jason. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that was that was one of the soundtracks. What do you got?
1: Uh, this one. So this is an example of a soundtrack that meant more to me than the movie. Oh, I think, uh, oh okay. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, you, I'm, I'm excited because <laughs> I, I want it to be what it is. Because the movie, I don't. I I remember Billy Zane. I don't remember like a lot about the movie, yes. but I own the soundtrack. I love the soundtrack. I played the soundtrack constantly, and it's "Tales from the Crypt Presents Demon Night" the soundtrack. Uh, so this was what was it? January tenth, nineteen ninety five, Atlantic Records. Um, it, did, it peaked at one fifty seven on the Billboard two hundred. Let's take a look through this track listing: "Cemetery Gates" oh, by see, there Pantera, go. the That's opening. It. Uh, Tonight We Murder, Ministry, okay. yeah. Diadems, diadems Megadeth, uh, Instant Larry the Melvins, uh, Fall Guy, Rollins Band, Beaten, Biohazard, <laughs> Policia, <laughs> Sepultura. <laughs> Policia. And probably the biggest hit, I would say, from the album, Hey Man, Nice Shot by oh, Filter. Man. And the only rap song on the album, 1-800-SUICIDE by Gravedigger's the main member of Gravediggers is Rizza from the Wu Tang Clan. They were like, <laughs> it was like his attempt at horror centric rap. Uh, and it's like, I think that's like their only major hit is yeah. Suicide, it's a suicide. Blah, blah. Suicide, it's a suicide. I remember that. Right, yeah. But yeah, Policia and Hey Man, Nice Shot and Cemetery Gates. I mean, yes. if we're going to talk about horror in metal, oh, you know, man. whether or not White Zombies metal, that's, that's irrelevant. But Rob Zombie as an artist represents he brings the horror to music
0: say what you will about what he's done as a director every time he puts out a movie someone talks about it yeah this is just this is the same conversation we have about Metallica they put out an album it could be shit or it could be really good or it could even be mediocre Metallica and everyone's super stoked on it because it's not Lulu (laughs) that you know poor
1: Lulu no not poor Lulu uh, no no fuck
0: fuck that album um (laughs) I think we have hope for him because he's such a diehard horror fan. He's
1: so old now, though.
0: Well, maybe that will work for him. I mean, George A. Romero wasn't a spring chicken. <laughs> Rob Zombie's music always has horror
1: samples. Oh, yeah. I remember her saying, I'm already dead. I'm already dead. I'm already dead. Um, and that's like from an actual Manson, one of those girls, like the, one of the Manson family, yes. like, like yeah. an interview. like She's talking about stabbing... The person in the infamous Manson murders, I remember her saying, I'm already dead. Like, that's already dark. <laughs> that's fucking yeah, yeah, dark. Yeah.
0: yeah. It makes you want to stand up and burn an X in your head. Dun,
1: dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah.
0: Perhaps you better start from the beginning. <laughs> and that's from <laughs> 1957 Curse
1: of Frankenstein. Horror permeates every single thing that Rob yeah. Zombie puts into, like, even just like his solo stuff, like Living Dead Girl. You know,
0: oh, Dragula.
1: Super and, Beast. Yeah. Just great.
0: Demonoid phenomenon. Great
1: horror image. Meet the Creeper. <laughs>
0: yeah. There was one that was on a movie that I watched recently that I forgot was in the soundtrack. She's a killer. She's a thriller. Oh, yeah. That's a good Spook one. Spook show, baby. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. dun. <laughs>
1: That's heavy, dun, man. Dun, dun,
0: dun, dun. It's funny. It's like we're talking about metal exploitation, but I think Rob Zombie's actually actually exploitation in the metal yeah, world. Yeah, that's true. It's like the 180 of what we're talking that's about. That's very
1: true. He's exploiting horror for yes. his music. I love it. Yeah, that's true. I love, true. It. I I love that. it.
0: And I mean, you know, give him credit. I mean, the dude's uh, an artist regardless. Hmm. Um, I actually really enjoyed uh, both. House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects. I think they're both fun movies. Very different movies. Very different movies, but both fun in their own regard because they're both paying tribute. I think that's the way you watch Rob Zombie movies. Is that they're not new, they're paying tribute. Mm-hmm. If you watch them as a tribute piece, you actually
1: kind of appreciate them a little bit more, in my opinion. I mean, I enjoyed I love the Halloween remake. The first, like, I love like to me. Uh, House of Thousand Corpses plus Devil Reject Devil's Rejects equals and like his Halloween remake. To right. me, like I, I love it. I think it was very awesome, very fateful. Obviously a tribute. Rob Zombie. Yep. Icon. You you really can't horror
0: metal icon. Exactly. You know? The dude waves the flags for both. Yeah, exactly. Big time.
1: <laughs> and remember that era of the booklet. The Astro Creep 2000 book, I just loved looking through that and reading the lyrics and how the artwork works with the lyrics that are printed. Oh, man. Man, just what a horror metal hybrid!
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, he really embraced both subcultures right away. Some of the other albums that I bought at that time, just based off of the soundtrack, I didn't even necessarily watch the movie. Heavy Metal 2000, that featured Immortally Insane by Pantera. That's a B-side. That would also show up on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot in 2003 soundtrack, which was also metal-based. That featured Shadows Fall, Meshuggah, Fear Factory, Morbid Angel, Canadian content, Finger Eleven, and Lamb of God. (laughs) Definitely, this is my house. I love metal and horror intersecting. And both exist together, um, and 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 kind of complement each other quite well. Mm-hmm. Where all is welcome for listening. Thank you. Um, the continued support online is always amazing. I'm constantly linking up with other great podcast fans, sharing moments and memories. It just real. You just realize how connected we all are, mm-hmm. even if we're not on the same page necessarily. I think that's I think that's
1: what nostalgia is. like nostalgia breeds nostalgia. But yeah, just how you know amazing it is that you know this kind of discussion and this kind of like thinking can it speaks to what we're talking to tonight. Like how two humble guys in, the, in a basement in Nova Scotia, Nova Scotia, Canada. You know, we can talk about these things, but you know, we're with you and and you understand what we're talking about. A hundred percent. Yes, that's just where we are. Yeah. And for nostalgia junk podcast, I'm Kyle saying. This piece is called Lick My Love Pump. <laughs> and I'm
0: Matt for the Junk Podcast saying, shut up, play my tape for me tonight or die.